is extremely common in Christian circles. We, we want our music leaders to be spirit-led. Uh, we want our pastors to be spirit-led. Our worship services to be spirit-led. Our life groups to be spirit-led, etc., etc. What exactly does spirit-led mean? What does a spirit-led community even look like? How do spirit-led people act? Well, it might be different than you think. In this passage we're going to look at tonight, Paul gives us a snapshot of a spirit-led community in action. Let's look at it together. This is Galatians chapter 5, and we'll look at, we'll start at verse 26, and then we'll go through chapter 6, verse 5. So we'll look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, and then we'll go through chapter 6, verse 5. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Galatia. Verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And what a word it is. We pray that your spirit would move in us and move in these words so that we would be changed tonight. That we would not leave here the same way that we came in, but that these precious words would fall on good ground, that they would fall on the, on the good ground that your Spirit provides in our hearts, so that these words might change us more so into the image of your Son. And Father, it's in your Son's name that we pray, amen. Okay, so Paul summarizes the essence of a spirit-led community in a single phrase. Burden-bearing. Burden-bearing. The main thing spirit-led people do is bear one another's burdens. So what does it mean to bear a burden? Well, you can think of it like this. If you were carrying a hundred-pound satchel and you were really struggling with it and you really needed to carry it i could come alongside you and i could help you and so i could throw half of it on my shoulder and let you take the other half and so now your burden of 100 pounds is now only 50 pounds for you but my burden of zero pounds now becomes 50 pounds for me and so you lighten your load and I add to mine so that I can carry your burden. And now Jonathan Edwards is famous for, he's always imploring Christians to serve the poor. And he would always get pushback from this from various people. 
Uh, and, and people, would, they would always throw out their excuses, you know, as to why they could not serve the poor. And he said that one of the most common excuses people would have for not helping the poor is they'd say, well, I can't afford it. I can't afford to help them. And so Edwards would always respond, and he would say, okay, well, uh, if you're waiting to help the poor until it's not a burden to you, then you're not a burden bearer at all. If you're waiting to help the poor until it's easy for you, you've actually missed the whole point of burden bearing. It should be a burden to you. Again, back to the satchel analogy, I had a burden of zero, you had a burden of 100 pounds. Burden bearing is me taking 50 pounds off of you and putting it onto my own shoulders. To lighten your load, I need to add to my load. That is burden bearing. Every Christian ought to be prepared to lovingly carry the burdens of his brothers and sisters in Christ and his neighbor. But let's be real. <laughs> let's be real. Very few of us do it. At least not very well. And Paul shows us why. He shows us why. Paul reveals two truths in this text. Number one, what poisons burden bearing? And number two, what motivates burden bearing? Number one, what poisons burden bearing? Look at verse 26 of chapter 5. Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, most commentators say that chapter 6 should have started with this verse. It should have started with verse 26, chapter 5. Uh, and Paul's argumentation here makes more sense if that's the case. So if chapter 6 starts with verse 26 of chapter 5, this whole thing makes a lot more sense, and I'll show you why. Uh, so, regrettably, burden-bearing is not something many Christians do very often or do very well. Too often we act as if we're too spiritually insecure or spiritually immature uh, to do or say anything for anyone else. And, and, or worse yet, worse yet, uh, and this is, this is my bugaboo here, uh, worse yet, we can be too proud or preoccupied with ourselves to even notice. To even notice, much less care. In fact, we may even be annoyed with the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ or our neighbors. Why? Why are we annoyed? Well, because we're prideful. We're conceited. We only care about our own lives. Now, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6 that if someone is caught in sin... We should restore that person gently. But to keep watch that we ourselves don't fall into temptation. Now, what temptation is Paul talking about? What's he saying here? Now, certainly we might be tempted to stumble in the same way the sinning person has. That's for sure. But more to the point of this text, we might be tempted to feel like we're better than the person we're helping. We might become conceited. We'll think, gee, I'm sure glad this person has me to help them. 
Now, we don't intend to do this. Of course not. But sin is just that subtle. It's just that subtle. It's just that sneaky. And pride and conceit are just that powerful. It's so easy to make everything about us, even when we're trying to help others. Now, Ronald Reagan tells a story of when he was a self-centered teenager in Dixon, Illinois. He had a summer job as a, as a lifeguard on the treacherous rock river. And one day from his elevated perch, he noticed a beautiful girl out in the water. And he noticed she was looking his way and she began to wave. And Reagan says this, he says, you know, my chest puffed out a little bit and I kind of sheepishly waved back at her. Then I turned away for a few moments and when I looked again, I saw that she was going down under the water. I realized then that the girl wasn't waving at me. She was trying to signal for help. You see, inflated egos poison burden-bearing. Burden-bearing is, after all, a slave's task when you think about it. It's menial, it's messy, and very often it's thankless. It's not a job for the proud. If you didn't know it, your brothers and sisters in Christ and your neighbors are trying to signal for help. But very often all we can do is think about ourselves. We make everything all about us. An inflated ego causes us to envy and provoke others rather than love and serve them. Rather than grieve another's sin, we sometimes revel in realizing that we have a leg up on someone. We're tempted to posture ourselves toward others like that Pharisee did toward the tax collector in Jesus' parable. When the, tax collector, uh, when the Pharisee prayed out loud, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. That is very often what we'll do. And this is very subtle, and this is very secretive. But this is what sin does. Several years ago, when our children were a little younger, Catherine and I decided that we would not teach our children about Santa. We would not teach our children about Santa Claus. We wanted the holiday season to be all about Jesus and not about a fat guy in a red suit. So we made the decision in good conscience and never regretted it. We still do that. But I found that in doing this, it made me feel judgmental toward other Christian parents who were making their Christmases all about Santa. I began to worry that ah, they just weren't as fully committed to Christ as I was. This attitude of mine is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a Pharisee. Being a Pharisee is so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. All I have to do is make up a bunch of rules for life that I just so happened to already be living by, and then make that the standard I use to judge everyone else. 
Now, look, I'm not saying we can't make some, some rules for our lives to guide our behavior. I'm not saying that. But when we extend those rules to everyone else, we're not spiritual. We're pharisaical. We're pharisaical. And this kind of contemptuous attitude toward others is positively fatal to burden bearing. It's fatal. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Now, you might secretly and subtly think you're better than the person you're helping, but you're not. <laughs> you're not. Don't deceive yourself. You are as worthy of eternal damnation as they are. And every good thing you have and are capable of in life is a gift of grace from God. Pride is fatal for burden-bearing because it turns us into judges rather than servants. In school, you know, nobody likes the know-it-all who is always trying to grade everyone else's work. <laughs> nobody likes the know-it-all. In um, verses five, 4 and 5, Paul is telling us all to keep our eyes on our own paper. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. He says, each one of us should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, believe it or not, you've got your own issues. You've got your own issues. Quit pointing the finger at others. Quit comparing yourself to others. Keep your eyes on your own paper. But how do we do all this? <laughs> how do we do all this, Paul? How do we humble ourselves when we are so consumed with pride? Well, Paul gives us the answer. That brings us to our second and last point. What motivates burden-bearing? Paul gives us the answer in verse 2. Verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul here coins a fascinating phrase. The law of Christ. What is he referring to? Well, virtually all commentators agree here that this phrase is intended to point the reader to the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is trying to tell us that pride is killed and burden-bearing is enabled when we remember the burden Christ carried for us. Annie Graham, the daughter of Billy Graham, wrote this. Here's what she said. She said, imagine what it would have been like to be Simon and to have carried the cross of Christ while following him up Calvary. What would it have been like to share in the humiliation of rejection as he was cast out of the city? What would it have been like to feel the sticky warmth of his blood on your skin? What would it have been like to feel the encroaching horror as the place of execution neared? 
What would it have been like to see the executioners standing by, waiting with hammers in hand? And what would it have been like to have the burden of the cross lifted from your back? As a soldier explains to you, this is Jesus' cross. You're free to go now. What relief. What relief. And this is a relief shared by every one of us. By every one of us. Every believer has had the heavy load of sin and shame lifted from our shoulders. And we've all heard the words, this is Jesus' cross. You're free to go now. Indeed, all burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is the burden bearer par excellence. 1 Peter 2.24 says, The Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus himself said in Mark 10.45 that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As you know, Christmas is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And I want you to remember, in, in movies or in scenes outside of churches or in social media posts, when you see that cute little baby lying in the manger, I want you to remember that the entire reason he came was to bear your burdens. It's the entire reason he came. He came to carry your sin and your shame and my sin and my shame upon his back. No, he didn't take half of it. He took it all. He took all of our burdens on his back, and he carried them all the way to the cross. This is what the prophet Isaiah anticipated so long ago when he wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities we all like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord had has laid on him the iniquity of us all jesus christ is the supreme burden bearer and his law is the law of love. And this is not some mushy abstraction of love. No, this is, this is concrete. 
This is an entire life and death and resurrection devoted to others. Devoted to you and to me. It is the self-giving life and death of Jesus. So if we're going to grade ourselves, we should not do so on a curve, although although that's very tempting. We should not do so on a curve, but instead, by the law of love, by the life of Christ. We should not be comparing ourselves with the lives of others, but instead to the life of Christ, and then let our lives be measured against his. Now, obviously, we will all fail miserably on that grading system. We will all receive a big red F minus on that report card. Why does teachers, why do they always write it in red? <laughs> so annoying. I hated seeing that uh, big red D or D minus or F when I was in school. But that's exactly what our grade would be. If we compare our lives to Christ, we would all have an F, a giant red F minus on our report card. But here's the irony. Because of his great love for us, for anyone who has placed faith in Christ, they actually get a big red A plus on the report card of their life. And the A plus is written in his blood. If we truly remember the crucified Christ, his humility, his sacrifice, his suffering, his mercy, his love. We won't be able to entertain high thoughts of ourselves anymore. <laughs> it just won't be possible. We will very quickly realize with the Apostle Paul that none is righteous. No, not one. And that especially means me. You see, reflecting on the full scope of our Savior's love, and suffering on our behalf. Thus has a remarkable way of subduing, if not altogether eradicating pride in our hearts. We won't feel the need to prop up our fragile egos with comparisons to others. No, we'll be free. We'll be free to carry the burdens of others. Because we will have confidence that God is already fully pleased with us in Christ. No comparisons needed. And it will be a joy, a joy for us to follow in our precious Savior's footsteps and bearing the burdens of our neighbors. 
So let us have the same eyes tonight as the great hymn writer who wrote, I see my Savior with thorn-crowned head bearing his cross for me. Thorns pierced his brow as by soldiers led bearing his cross for me. I see him pass through the city gate bearing his cross for me. In midst the taunts and the people's hate bearing his cross for me. I see him burdened with this world's sin bearing his cross for me. Willing to suffer all hearts to win bearing his cross for me. Let's pray together. Father, what can we say about your son? What can we say about you that you would give us your son? Fully, all of him, even his precious life and his precious blood. What can we say? Father, it humbles us in the dirt. But it also encourages us to the skies to know that you love us that much. That you were willing to send your son to bear our load of sin and shame. It humbles us, but oh, oh, it motivates us. It motivates us, Father, to follow in his footsteps. And so, Father, we pray that as we are so tempted every day, every hour, to try to make everything about us, that you would give us your spirit and bring us back so that your spirit would bring us back to Calvary. would bring us back to the great suffering, to the great love of the ultimate burden bearer, our Savior, our Jesus, our King, and our friend. Bring us back to Calvary so that we might be humbled and inspired and motivated to love others the way that he has loved us. Thank you for Jesus, Father. Thank you for Jesus.